Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here in the house of the Lord today, and all of you who are joining us online, welcome to you. Good to see you. I do have a word for you from the Lord today, but before I give you that word, I want to play for you an excerpt from a sermon I preached on February 21st, which was the beginning of our Coming Home series. Uh, the sermon was called Rock of Help. The Lord actually moved mightily on us that day. I was barely able to hold it together to even preach that sermon. Some of you remember it. Um, amen. I got an amen over there. I listened back to that sermon recently and felt very compelled that this was a prophetic moment that God wants to revisit. And so we're going to play a clip from that sermon, and I'll explain why afterward. But let me prepare your hearts. This is not a 30-second clip. This is a five-minute clip. And I'm playing this clip not because I was too lazy to prepare to preach to you today, but there's something that you need to hear there here. And I'm going to come back and explain to you why in a second. Here it is. He says, if I jump in to save someone who is still kicking, they're going to kick me, they're going to drag me down, and we're both going to drown. But if I wait till they're done with their strength, where they're ready to stop living by their strength, and they're ready now to release and surrender to my strength, now I can save you. You see, God waits while we're still living in the flesh. He says, I'm waiting until you're ready to live that kingdom first life. That kingdom first life that is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, where you're ready to quit kicking. At, after 20 years, Israel had finally run out of strength and they were ready to surrender to God. They were ready to stop kicking. And Samuel says, now it's time. But here's what we're going to do. Here is the restoration of God. Let's meet at Mitzvah. It's time to assemble. It's time for the great regathering. It's time to bring us all back together again. But he picked a particular place for that regathering. He says, we're going to meet at Mitzpah. We're going to Mitzpah. Get everybody together and tell them, meet Samuel at Mitzpah. It was already known that Samuel was a prophet in Israel, but Samuel says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going city to city anymore. I'm not getting on Zoom anymore. Now we're going to have a gathering. This is not going to be a live stream event anymore. Now it's time for a gathering. You see, when it's time for God's redemption to break forth, he calls a gathering. And I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that God is calling us back to mitzvah, that God is getting ready to gather us back together again, that what he's doing is bigger than Zoom. What he's doing is bigger than an online service. God is calling a gathering because it's time for him to break through on behalf of his people. <clears throat> and so Samuel calls a gathering at mitzvah. But the question is, what is mitzvah? See, the word mitzvah literally means watch. And what, what, what you would have found if you went to the place called mitzvah, which was in the mountains of Gilead, was a heap of stones. And if you came to that heap of stones, that monument, and you asked one of the children of Israel, what is this heap of stones? What does this monument mean? They would tell you a story that you can actually find in Genesis chapter 31 of a young man named Jacob who had stolen his brother's birthright and blessing and ran for his life to be in Haran with his uncle Laban. And he was there for 20 years, acquired two wives and a bunch of concubines and had a bunch of children. And at a certain point, God spoke to him and said, go back home now, go back to the land of your father Abraham and your father Isaac. It's now time for you to go back and possess your inheritance. And, and so he takes his wives, his concubines, his children, his flocks, his herds, and his servants, and they leave Laban's house, but they leave without telling Laban, his wife's father, that he was leaving. Three days go by, Laban finds out, and Laban gathers his, his, his squad, and they go off in search, and Laban's thinking he's going to do some harm to Jacob. 
Seven days later, Laban overtakes him in the mountains of Gilead. But that night, the night before they met, God appears to Laban in a dream. He says, don't you dare lay a hand on Jacob. And you don't, don't you even say a word to him, neither good nor evil. You just be careful. I'm watching you, Laban. If you put a hand on Jacob, you, you're going to deal with me. And then Laban wakes up the next morning with fear of God. I better be careful how I talk to Jacob because God is watching me. And he and Jacob have this interaction there in the middle of Genesis 31. And at the end of that interaction, it becomes apparent to Jacob that God is watching over him, that God has helped him, that God has provided for him, that God has brought him to where he is. And, and he sets up a stone. And then he says to all of his brethren, gather stones. And this gathering of stones, this assembly of stones transpires. This congregation of stones transpires. And they begin to fit those stones together into a monument, into a pillar. And they name that pillar, that monument, Mitzpah, which means watch. It was a monument to the fact that God has been watching over us. It's a monument, a memorial to the truth. It's a testimony to the truth that God has watched over us, that if it had not been for the Lord on our side, where would we be? And it became a monument, not just for Jacob, but for all of Israel, that anyone passing through the mountains of Gilead would see that monument and remember, had it not been for God watching over my father Jacob, I would not be here. Had it not been for God providing for my father Jacob, I would not be. Where would we be had it not been for the Lord on our side? And Samuel says, gather all of Israel to Mitzpah. We're going to go back to the place where God made it known that he was watching over us. We're going to go back to the place where God showed us that he was protecting us. We're going to go back to the place where it became known to us that God was with us, that he is on our side, that there was no weapon forged against us that could ever prosper. And there, because God is on our side, because he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Come back to mitzvah. Come back to mitzvah. Church, do you know what our mitzvah was? Our mitzvah was Emeryville. Emeryville was the place where God showed us that he was watching over us. Emeryville was the place where God showed us that he was leading us on this journey. Emeryville was the place where God showed us that we were his idea and not our own idea. Because there were so many circumstances and situations that should have destroyed us as a church but it, it couldn't destroy us why because of mitzvah because of the god who was watching over us it was just a monument it was not our inheritance but it was a monument it was not our destiny but it was a monument it was a and it will always be for us our mitzvah our place of remembrance of how God brought us forth, of how God protected us, of how God carried us on eagle's wings. God knew that we would branch out to San Francisco. And he said that I forgot that I had to get up and preach. What I didn't realize that day, when I preached that message, that God would literally call us back to Mitzvah. We thought we were done here. We didn't think we would ever come back, and especially ECCL. We didn't think we would ever this place again. I didn't realize on February 21st, I was prophesying 
that God, and what actually happens at the end of that scene that I thought I was going to get to in that clip, I, I must have given the wrong timestamp. Samuel gathers all Israel at Mitzpah, renews the covenant, and then says, everybody follow me. And he takes them halfway between Mitzpah and the peak of that mountain, which was called Shin. And halfway between Mitzpah and Shin, he establishes another memorial. And he calls it Ebenezer. And what I say in that sermon is that El Cerrito is our Ebenezer. It's not even Shin. It's not even the mountaintop. It's not even the destination. It's not even our destiny. It's simply another memorial along the way. But before we go on to Ebenezer, we had to come back to Mitzpah. We had to come back to the place where God has established his watch over us. And next Sunday morning, I want you all to hear this, especially those of you who are watching from home. Next Sunday morning is special. We're having an event called Covenant Day. Those of you who are listening to this during the week who aren't actually in the service right now at 11, but you're listening to the podcast later, you're watching the video later, next Sunday morning, I want you to be on the stream. If you're not going to be here personally, I want you to be on the stream at 11 a.m. Do everything in your power to be present for the actual service next Sunday morning because this is our moment to come back to Mitzpah to renew the covenant before we move on to Ebenezer. This is an incredible moment, a prophetic moment, and I want to encourage us all to be there for that moment. Amen? Go back and listen to that message, by the way. I, I was in the gym, and I'm on the treadmill, and I, I felt the Lord leading me to listen to that message this week, and I'm on the treadmill. I'm just breaking and crying. I'm just running. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> I got my mask on, and earbuds in. I'm crying on the treadmill. People are like, man, somebody dying in his family? What's going on? <laughs> Brothers, I've lost it. <sighs> also, I'm all discombobulated this morning. This week, uh, we're going to be going through our statement of faith in our community groups. And so those of you who are engaged in this process, uh, please, please, please keep going. Don't stop. This is an important series. It's, it's going to be a watershed series that we're going to look back on in the days to come. Amen? All right. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would clear our minds and our hearts now. Attune us to your word. Attune us to your spirit. Attune yeah. us to your presence that we might receive from you the implanted word which is able to save our souls. I speak blessing over this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul comes to the end of his life and he defines his life in these words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Paul defines his entire ministry, his entire Christian walk, his entire discipleship to Jesus in three phrases. It's been a fight that I've had to fight. And it's a good one. It's been a course or a race that I've had to finish. And it's been a faith that I've had to cling to. Today I want to talk about that third phrase. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. And it's important to me that Paul uses the definite article, the. 
He doesn't simply say, I have kept faith. He says, I have kept the faith. The faith. I don't just have faith because everybody in the world claims to have faith these days. It's very popular to claim to be a person of faith. I just kept the faith and I just keep believing. But there's many faiths. But Paul says, there's one particular faith that I've kept. I have kept the faith. The faith. A specific faith. This week in our community groups, we're going to be talking about our statement of faith as a church, the lineage statement of faith. But I want to make it very clear, very simple for you today. If you ask, what do we believe? I would simply respond to you. We believe in Jesus. However, that But that faith in Jesus Christ, that statement of faith needs to be clarified that we don't simply believe in Jesus, but we believe in the Jesus. Because if you tell me you believe in Jesus, I'm going to ask you which Jesus you believe in. See, just as there's many faiths, there's many Jesuses out there. And it's actually become very popular right now to redefine Jesus according to your own liking. It's actually very popular for Christian musicians and recording artists to renounce their faith, to redefine their faith. And they always preface it by saying things like, I still believe in Jesus, but not the one that I learned about in the church. Not the one that was taught to me. I don't believe in that Jesus anymore. And then they go on to explain the Jesus that they now believe in, and he's a completely different Jesus than the one in the Bible. I saw one recently where this pastor renounced his faith and then talked about his new metaphysic. They use these big fancy words, my old metaphysic broke and my new metaphysic, it's not, it's not like the one that, you know, it's not the Jesus that you, you know, this Jesus, he plays basketball with me. He's got a great jump shot. Freeing myself from the historic faith so that I can actually create a Jesus in my own image and likeness. Instead of humankind being formed in the image of God, now we form God in the image of man. Now we want to be free to determine who God is based upon our own conjecture, based upon our own understanding. Even atheists have a Jesus. He was just a human being who was born in first century Palestine. He created this religious sect. He died, and his disciples, after he died, spirited his body away and then made up a story that he was risen from the dead. Islam has a Jesus. He was a prophet, but he submits to the prophet Muhammad. He is subservient to the prophet Muhammad. The Mormons have a Jesus. He is the literal son of God the Father and his wife. Not homoousios, not of the same essence of the Father, but a separate being. Our brother, in the literal sense, because we're all God's spirit children in the Mormon faith. And we all can potentially be deified like Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a Jesus who was the first creation of God, 
He was a created being and therefore not fully God, a fully God. The Gnostics had a Jesus who didn't have flesh and blood. He simply appeared to be human and played a dirty trick when he was on the cross. He switched bodies with Peter and let Peter die. Everybody has a Jesus. But when you want to talk about the Jesus that we believe in and the faith that we hold, the faith that we hold is the faith in the Jesus who is communicated to us in Holy Scripture. Because if you don't talk about the Jesus of the Bible, I don't know what Jesus you're talking about. And so popular, oh, Jesus, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in that Bible. I'm not so sure I believe in that Bible. The faith in the Jesus is the faith that Paul says in Jude verse 3 that was once delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered to the saints. And in Jude verse 3, he exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, that each and every one of us has a responsibility to earnestly contend, which means to wrestle, to fight, to strive for the faith, the faith which was once delivered to the saints which means that it was the faith that was delivered to Abraham. And it was the faith that empowered him to stand over an altar on Mount Moriah and lift a knife over his son Isaac. It was the faith that was given from Abraham to his son Isaac and given to Isaac to his son Jacob. It empowered Jacob to remain in Gerar and to plant in the middle of a famine and reap a hundredfold. It was the faith that caused Jacob to come back from his uncle Laban's house and go back home even though he knew his brother was waiting to kill him. It was the faith that went with Joseph to Egypt and kept him in Potiphar's house and kept him in the prison and kept him in Pharaoh's court. It was the faith that guarded Moses in the Nile River that caused him to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter that brought, brought him into the wilderness where he met God at Mount Sinai. It was the faith that brought Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. It was the faith that went with David to Jerusalem to establish the holy city. It was the faith, the faith that went with Israel to Babylon that was tried in the fiery furnace when the Hebrew boys stood their ground, that shut the mouths of lions when Daniel was in the lion's den, but opened the mouths of prophets. This faith, once delivered to the saints, it was given to Abraham, but then it was handed down from generation, and every generation had the responsibility of earnestly contending for the faith, not just the seed of Abraham, the faith of Abraham song we used to sing when I was little said, give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Then it says, it was tried in the fiery furnace. It was tried in the fiery furnace. I don't need a new faith. The old faith will do. 
It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. When Paul and Silas were in that prison, that faith that was in them caused them to sing their song at midnight. It was good for Paul and Silas, and it's good enough for me. And so Paul says, you have a responsibility to earnestly contend for the faith. Remember, he ends his life by saying, I've kept the faith. And we skip over that, not realizing that what Paul is actually saying is that is a feat. A great feat. To be able to say at the end of your life, I still got the faith. I still believe in the same Jesus. The same Jesus that saved me when I was 12, he's keeping me when I'm 92. I still believe I've still got the faith. This is, Paul says, after all the trials and tribulations I've walked through, not one of them was able to destroy my faith. I'm still believing. I'm still standing. And then he says, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Why does Paul tell us that we have to earnestly contend for it? Because there are demonic powers at work that are constantly trying to separate you from the faith. See, we completely misunderstood what, it mean, what, he, what he meant when he said earnestly contend for the faith. We thought that meant that we are to be defenders of orthodoxy. Earnestly contending for the faith means looking out at everything that's bad theology and calling it out. Constant critiquers of the theology of everyone. Self-proclaimed protectors of orthodoxy. And so that means that anyone who's a heretic out there, I've got to make a YouTube video and expose them. Because I'm defending the faith. I'm contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. And that's not what he meant at all. He wasn't telling you to defend the faith against them. You see, it'll be good enough if you keep the faith. You need to defend the faith. You need to earnestly contend for the faith against every power of darkness that's trying to separate you from it. You ain't got time to correct nobody else. You got to deal with your own heart. Constantly correcting other people's theology, not realizing that you've become a secret closet atheist. Situationally, situational atheism plagues Christianity. You know what I mean by situational atheism, right? You sit in church right now and say amen to everything I say, but as soon as you leave this place and somebody cuts you off on the freeway, God, why have you abandoned me? As soon as something bad hits your finances, God, I thought you were real. Lord, if you love me, why does all this happen? Do you know what you need to do in those moments? Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. You see, Satan doesn't care that you keep believing in Jesus as long as you give him a little latitude to redefine the Jesus that you believe in. He won't even come and try to convince you that Jesus is not real. He will simply redefine Jesus in your mind until you believe in a Jesus who is not real. And that is the ultimate deception because now you are claiming to believe in Jesus, but you're believing in the wrong one. It's not the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So Paul says, I kept the faith. I kept it. I still got it. I bought the truth and I haven't sold it. I kept the faith. 
The question is, are we going to keep it? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to keep it? So good. Now, in, in the book of Acts, where is it? Acts. Um, There it is. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, the scripture says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. The sign that you have kept the faith is that you continue to be obedient to it. What we don't realize is that the faith demands our obedience. If you have a faith that does not demand your obedience, it's not the faith. This is the great distinction in the world, is that what's happening in the world is that there is a faith that is being propagated, that is being declared, that demands no obedience. I love Jesus, mother. Praise Jesus. And that's why I grabbed my Glock and popped and busted caps. Praise Jesus. Glory to God. What's your name? Give me your number. Let me holler. A faith that demands no obedience. You've kept it when you're obedient to it. And the sign in the book of Acts here in Acts chapter 6 that many were coming to the faith was they were believing and obeying. Mm, That is that the fruit of their faith was obedience. Which means that at every place where we've lost our obedience, we've lost our faith. Which means that sin in every form is a catastrophic loss of faith. A momentary, situational, catastrophic loss of faith when in that moment and in that place, we've abandoned the faith that was once delivered to all of the saints. And so we believe in Jesus, the one in the Bible, the one that the Bible talks about, which means that if we want that Jesus, we got to take the Bible too. Even the stuff in the Bible that we don't get, that we don't understand, even the stuff in the Bible that we might read and go, ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Even the stuff in the Bible that you might read and go, I'm not quite sure I agree with that. I don't get to choose what I agree with and what I don't agree with. Yeah, yeah. It's either this Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, yeah. or a Jesus of my own making. The only word of God that we hear and obey in life and in death is Jesus Christ as revealed in Holy Scripture. And we hearken not to the voice of a stranger. And so here at Lineage Church, we strive to be obedient to the faith, to keep the faith. But it's a historic faith. And that faith was best described. You you all know the Apostles' Creed, right? Which literally is a remake of the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed from, uh, what was it, 325 A.D. says, I believe in God the Father. And this is what I love about the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed starts 
with God the Father. Now, if you look at the faith of Jesus Christ, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, this is the key. We, a lot of, most of the time when we talk about faith, because we are charismatic believers, we believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we talk about faith, we talk about faith for instead of faith in. I'm believing for, I'm, I've just got faith for, I've got faith for this miracle, I've got faith for this provision, I've got faith for this financial yeah, breakthrough, yeah, I've got yeah, yeah, faith yeah. for this, and I've got faith for this new job, and I've got faith for this new house, yeah. and we talk so much about faith for yeah, instead yeah. of faith in. Yeah. I've got faith in God, I've got faith in Jesus, yeah. my confidence is in God, not in healing. Yeah. My confidence is in Jesus, not in miracles, my yeah. confidence is in the God who provides, yeah. and not in the provision. Yeah. And so Paul says, the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. It means it's his faith. Yeah. It's the faith that Jesus had, yeah. which means I believe what he believed. Mm. In his presence, faith is the natural result. Yeah. So the woman with the issue of blood, she didn't simply have faith that she would be healed. When she saw Jesus, when she came into the presence of Jesus, a unique faith was born in her because she saw Jesus and said, if I touch the hem of his garment, her confidence was in him. I've got to touch him. And if I touch him, I will be made whole. And so she had no faith for her miracle until she saw Jesus. Listen, if you're struggling, struggling to have faith for your miracle, you need to focus on seeing Jesus, not on seeing your miracle. Yeah, 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 and so yeah. often we are in pursuit of the miracle and not in pursuit of the miracle worker. Yeah. We're in pursuit of the healing and not in pursuit of the healer. If you seek the healer when you come into his presence, faith is the natural result. Amen. What about the guys that tore the hole in the roof and lowered their friends down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did that idea come from? That's not even in the Bible. But radical, desperate faith that moves you to take risks happens in the presence of Jesus. And so the faith of Jesus Christ, Paul says, the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of Jesus Christ. How do we define and explain the faith of Jesus Christ? There's one word for me that describes the faith of Jesus Christ. Radical trust. Just think of it this way. He goes out into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil. Yeah. Forty days later, he's hungry. Yeah. Which means, if you go on a fast, there's about a 21 to 40 day period where all of your body fat is being extinguished. Somewhere in the middle there, the hunger pains leave you. Yeah. When the hunger pains come back after 21 to 40 days, depending on how much body fat you had, I could go the full 40 days, but my wife couldn't. <laughs> Once those hunger pains come back, yeah. you better eat because your starvation is setting in. Yeah. Meaning your body has no more fat to feed on. Now it's feeding on living tissue. Wow. When those hunger pains come, if you've ever gone on an extended fast, and you know what I'm talking about. You come to the place where you literally feel like you're dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you are. Yeah. You actually literally are. Yeah. I mean, that's the place when you say, I'm starving. No, you, you are literally starving. When we say it, it means I haven't eaten in hours. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm starving. It's been like three hours since I've eaten. Oh, God, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's like, but when you've gone like 21 days without yeah, eating, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you start feeling hungry, you literally are starving. Yeah. You want to talk about being hangry. Jesus, 40 days in, yeah. now the devil comes to tempt him. Yeah. At the edge of his life, yeah. in the complete absence of provision, yeah. and in the complete absence of the presence of the Father, wow. without any word from the Father, mm. without any intervention from the Father, yeah. now he has to face the temptation of the enemy. Mm. And what's the first thing the enemy tempts him to do? Turn these stones to bread. What is that temptation about? Just accept the fact that the Father has abandoned you and he's not going to do anything about your yeah, situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just take matters into your own hands. Figure this out yourself. If you haven't figured it out by now, the Father doesn't care about you. Forty days of no food, and that's the temptation. And Jesus simply refuses to believe that. This is faith. No matter what I go through, I simply refuse to believe that the Father has abandoned me. I simply refuse to believe that he's not with me. I simply refuse to believe that he will not provide for me. I simply refuse to believe that he has not answered my prayer. I simply refuse to believe that he doesn't care about me. I simply refuse to believe that he's cursed me. Faith is the refusal to believe Anything less than the full faithfulness of the Father. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turn these stones to bread. It is written. Yeah. Where did the faith of Jesus come from? What gave him the faith to believe that the Father had not abandoned him at the hour of his direst temptation yeah. at the edge of his life? Yeah. It is written. Where did his faith come from? It is written. Yeah. The faith of Jesus Christ is faith in what is written. I'm still obedient to the faith. Why? Because I haven't forgotten what is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written. The faith of Jesus Christ is the stalwart confidence in the provision presence, and protection of God because of what is written. The faith of Jesus Christ is the stalwart confidence in the presence, provision, and protection of God the Father because of what is written. If it's written, then it's done. If it's written, then it's true. If it's written, my faith is in what is written. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, it's so important for us to establish this in our lineage so that we become established in the faith. All throughout the book of Acts, the Bible talks about the churches being established in the faith. Established in the faith, meaning unmovable from the faith. We need that more than ever. We need that more than ever. We need that more than ever because we are living in a day and age in which the powers of darkness are at work at another level to separate us from the faith, to extinguish our faith, 
to redefine our faith wow. and to separate it from Scripture. Wow. This is the enemy's task. Wow. This is the enemy's yeah. tool yeah. to separate your faith from the veracity wow. of Scripture, wow. to diminish your confidence in the truth of Scripture. Wow. Because if he can separate you from Scripture, he can separate you from the God of Scripture. Wow. If he can separate you from Scripture, he can separate you from the Jesus of Scripture. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you find words of eternal life, but they are the very Scriptures which speak of me. Yet you will not come to me that you may have life. Jesus is literally saying, if you want me, you got to go to the Scriptures because the the scriptures speak of me. The scriptures are revealing me. Yeah. The scripture is the vehicle through which the Holy Spirit reveals me. Every page of scripture yeah. speaks of Jesus. He's in it. He's in it. He's there. He's being revealed by the Holy Spirit. And what the enemy wants to do yeah. desperately yeah, yeah. is to separate you from that word. Wow. So he can separate you from that faith. Wow. And if he can separate you from wow. that faith, yeah. he can separate you from that Jesus. My desire, my deepest desire for yeah. each and every one of us is that we would be able to say yeah. at the end of our lives, yeah. I've kept the faith. <laughs> yeah. I still got it. That's right. I still got it. Yes. What Moses just said. <laughs> that at the end of our lives, we'd be able to say, Appa! <laughs> and by him, you cry, Abba, Father. Yes. The spirit of adoption, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'd still be crying out to that same father, yeah. that same father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about to get real funny. It's about to get real funny. I mean, stuff that's getting ready to happen in the world, the stuff that's coming in the next decade, two decades, yeah. it's going to challenge the very foundations of your faith. Uh, yeah. I mean, think about the Copernican Revolution. When they discovered that the Earth is actually not the center of the universe, that it actually revolves around the sun, that messed up everybody's theology. Yeah. They had constructed a whole theology around this Earth-centered universe. And then they found out the Earth is actually revolving around the sun. Yeah. And it jacked everybody up. Do you know they put people to death, they put scientists to death for saying that the earth revolved around the sun? Because it jacked up their theology. They didn't realize that they had created a whole theology around this fallacy. And they had to go back to the Bible and reconfigure their theology to bring it into alignment with reality. And what they discovered is that the heliocentric universe does not destroy the foundation of our faith. And we actually had a misplaced faith. There are some areas where th that are going to require some redefinition. But if we are not established in the fundamental unchanging truths yeah. of the gospel, yeah. then those other areas are going to shake us to the core. Wow. And so we've got to be ready. Amen. We've got to be established in the truth. Amen. And so, you know, what we, what our, our desire is not to be the popular church. That's never been our vision. Yeah. Our desire is not to be the popular church. We want to be the growing church, but we want to be growing first spiritually. We want to be growing in faith. And growing in faith means that every year my confidence in the God of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in these scriptures, that that faith gets stronger. Yeah. 
and stronger. Yes, yes. And stronger. Amen. Instead of weaker. And, we, and many of us are like the frog in the kettle. And we don't know that the enemy has already thrown us into that pot and turned the fire on low. Because when the enemy tries to destroy your faith, it's almost never catastrophically. Yeah. It's subtly. Yeah. It's progressively. Yeah. And he'll take 10 years to do it. Yeah. He'll drop seeds and he'll water those seeds. He's very patient. Yeah. And so we need to make some decisions. Yeah. Established in the faith. So this week we're going to hit our statement of faith. And, and, but what I just wanted to establish in our hearts today is our faith is in the Jesus who is revealed in holy scripture. And we hearken not to the voice of a stranger. So, Father, today, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would silence the voice of every stranger and that you would put it in our hearts to contend for the faith. Lord, there's there's some of us today where the enemy has already begun to divide us from our faith in scripture, already begun to separate our hearts, and we've cooperated. But Father, today I pray that the power of that cooperation would be exposed mm. and broken. Amen. And that there would be a restoration of the faith. Amen. A reconnection. Mm. And a decision to contend. Yeah. And Lord, sometimes contending for the faith is a hard process because I've got to wrestle through some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to fight through some stuff. Sometimes I've got to have some conversations. Mm. Sometimes I've got to ask some questions. Yeah. But, Lord, the faith is worth it. The faith is worth it, and you're looking for a people who are devoted to keeping it. To keeping it in the face of all of the opposition that we experience in the world. All of the demonic forces that are arrayed against our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. The good confession. That we would hold to the good confession without wavering. Holy Spirit, right now, in the name of Jesus, you see every place of wavering in every heart where the enemy has tried to implant a wicked heart of unbelief and turning from the living God. Unbelief is always what causes us to turn from the living God. And Father, I pray that you'd break the power of unbelief. Lord, we're so quick to realize that I'm, I'm walking in unbelief when it comes to miracles, but not I'm walking in unbelief when it comes to Jesus. Strengthen, strengthen the faith of your people today. Strengthen the faith of your people today. Strengthen the faith of your people today. Restore it in every heart. The faith of Jesus Christ. The confidence. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. I believe he's here now standing in our midst. Here with the power to heal now and the strength to forgive. I believe he's coming again. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe, I believe. Father, strengthen our faith today, God. Break every power of unbelief from every soul. Break every power of unbelief from every soul. God, open our eyes to see that unbelief is demonic. 
that it's actually a work of the devil. It's not a work of reason. It's a work of the devil. It's not a work of logic. It's a work of the devil. By faith we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that that which is visible was not made by that which is seen. Strengthen our faith. Right now, we renounce unbelief. Just say it. I renounce the spirit of unbelief. I renounce every power of unbelief. I renounce every power of unbelief. Holy Spirit, establish me in the faith today. Establish me in the faith of the living God. Deliver me from every power of darkness that seeks to separate me from the faith of Jesus Christ. What we don't realize is that being strengthened in faith in Jesus, it results in faith for miracles. It results in faith for healing. The natural result of faith in Jesus. Suddenly I can see it. Suddenly I can believe it. Suddenly I have confidence. If I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Holy Spirit, come. Strengthen every heart right now. Establish every soul right now in the truth. We renounce the lie. We receive the truth. We renounce the lie. We receive the truth in Jesus' name.